whether we're abasing or abounding, the gift of thanksgiving, it's not an American thing, you know that. It's a kingdom of God thing. And when we learn the value of how to enter God's gates with thanksgiving, it takes us into his courts and it's access to him. That's why thanksgiving is so important. It gives us access to the Father, especially when things aren't going well, especially when things aren't going well. I was caught off guard yesterday. John left early to go hunting. I said, why are you going hunting? You already have your two-legged deer. (laughs) I've been saying that for 40 years. Still goes out, day after Thanksgiving. Um, He got back. That's all I got. He got back. But he's going to go out again, right? Great hunter. Yes, any of you know the movie Jeremiah Johnson, you will appreciate that. So anyway, he he, he left early, very early, and I was going down our stairs into our kitchen around 6 o'clock or so, and I got caught in the moment because three years ago on that day, we had fled our, this house, the, our home, because of house fire. Many of you know this story. But I, you know, you go on after things are restored, you forget. And I got caught in that moment. And really caught in a moment of thankfulness as I rounded down the stairs and went into the kitchen and I looked at this, what God had restored in our lives. Because three years ago, we had stood out in the front lawn of our home at three in the morning and just watched it smolder and we were out of our home for 45 weeks. But we were so thankful because we came very close to losing some of our children in the fire. So we're very thankful because those children now have grandchildren, right, Michelle? Fred, so yes. So, but I was caught in the thankfulness of God and I just danced around the kitchen and I just took, I cried, I wept. I thought of different times when John and I had, had, had held each other and, and I thought of all the community here who had surrounded us and, You know, it's good sometimes when you come through something to just take a moment and have a memorial in a place and know that, you know, God, just give him that time and that thanksgiving. So that was how my day started yesterday. But I just, I hope that you have that practice as well in your life, that you go to those places and you take time to really give thanks because it just keeps your heart so tender and open. Because for me, it wasn't about the stuff. It wasn't standing in the rebuilt house. It was the display of God's faithfulness in my life. And that's worth giving thanks for, isn't it? Amen. So yes, it is the first Sunday in Advent. And for those of you that might not have grown up in a church setting or you grew up in a non-denominational church, you may not know. I grew up as an Episcopalian, so I'm very aware of the church calendar. But the calendar isn't a set of rules and regulations. It's really just a a mark of seasons and days where we celebrate the birth and the death and the resurrection of Jesus. We chronicle his life through the year. And And Advent is the beginning of that. Advent is when we celebrate his arrival, where we're celebrating that he is not just that he's going to be his birth, but also his triumphant return. And in this season, we know that Mary and Joseph were preparing, and the shepherds were seeking, the wise men were searching, and all of heaven was declaring what the prophets foretold. And they foretold it in Isaiah 9. That's where I want to start today. And they said, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light, and those who dwelt in deep darkness. Isn't it nice to know that even if you're in deep darkness, God can still reach you. I mean, there's darkness, but sometimes there's deep darkness, and God can still reach you. And it says, on them a light has shone. For unto us 
A child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and the Prince of Peace. All this is wrapped up in the gift of Jesus. And we spend a lifetime discovering who he is, don't we? Mary, she wrapped this first Christmas gift in swaddling clothes. And we, as we unwrap it in our journeys, we discover who this wonderful counselor is, who is this mighty God, who is this everlasting father and this prince of peace. This wonderful counselor, he's the one, it doesn't just say counselor, it says wonderful counselor, full of wonder counselor. He bore our griefs, he was pierced for our iniquities, and he took on our shame. Just that alone, he took on our shame. Have you ever been so caught in shame that you didn't know how to get out from under it? When you have a reality, a realization, an understanding that he really took your shame on the cross, and you step out from under it, you're like, whew, you can breathe again. So he took our shame. And with it, he comes with such wisdom as a counselor that he finds solutions and things that you never even thought were possible. He's a wonderful counselor. And he's the mighty God. This is one of my favorite. I always picture him as like behind me, like when I'm fighting my enemies and I'm like saying to the devil, my dad's bigger than your dad. And then I realize, devil, you don't have a dad. I have a dad. You don't have a dad. But he's the mighty God. His arm is not too short that it can't save us. There's nowhere that you can go that you're far from him. And it's like David standing before Goliath and all the enemy's tauntings. And David has this little rock, but he knows who his mighty God is. Whatever's in our hands, but we have a mighty God. And we have an everlasting father, this big dad that I was talking about. And Jesus said in John let me look at it here. He said in John 1, 14, 9, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. So this is an invitation from Jesus. Come through me, you'll know me, and through me, you're gonna know the Father. And in knowing me, you receive this invitation. You're going to become sons and daughters of God. What does that mean? You're transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. You have a whole new identity. You have an inheritance that you haven't even begun to tap. This is the everlasting Father. And we have the Prince of Peace. This is all what Advent is about, discovering this. We have the Prince of Peace. The Prince of Peace. This isn't some like calm your spirit down kind of God. This is the Prince of Peace, where peace is a force in our lives. We hear the shalom of God. Around here we say where there's nothing missing, nothing broken. Well, what do you do with all that when you do have broken things in your life? But the Prince of Peace comes, and his peace is so profound, and it bypasses your head, and it settles in on your heart. And it says that it actually acts as an umpire on your heart to turn off fear away. Like, you're out of here, fear. That's what the supernatural, the peace of God is. We can't understand it. Don't try to. Why do I have such peace in this situation when everything around me has been destroyed? It's the Prince of Peace in my life. In this season of Advent, we're invited to live with this hope, this expectation that we have a relationship with the living God.
And this hope he talks about, and Paul talks about in Romans, and he says it's in Romans 3, 5. He says, we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. I love this scripture. I said this first service. I love it because it's bookended by hope. It says, we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God, not only that we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. Isn't that process fun? But it ends in hope. It ends in hope. That's the good news. And here's what it says. Hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts, poured into your hearts, poured into your hearts by the Holy Spirit. The Passion Translation says it this way, this, is, this hope is not a disappointing fantasy because we can now experience the endless love of God, cascading, multiplying. Just picture yourself under Niagara Falls, under the love of God, receiving the love of God because of the conduit of hope. Hope is a currency of the kingdom. It's like the commodity of exchange. It's what you hold on to, and as you bring all that you have that you don't have, your loss, whatever it is, and you hold on to this hope, and it brings in the love of God cascading into your lives. It's the currency of the kingdom. Now, Jesus, we're talking about the reality of what is all this, and he comes and he makes this declaration after his birth, and he's lived for 30 years, and he begins his ministry, and his rule and reign begins to be unveiled on the earth. And he makes this stunning pronouncement. It's recorded 137 times in the New Testament and 100 times just in the Gospels alone. The whole of his preaching, teaching, and ministry is centered on these words, and it's the inauguration of a new era. And this is what he says. He says, the kingdom of God is at hand. It's drawing near. The kingdom of God is at hand. He's drawing near. Don't you, it's drawing near. Don't you think if it was said that many times, it's a pretty big deal? It's a pretty big deal. So when Jesus begins his ministry, it's right after the time in the wilderness and when he gets news that John has been imprisoned. And Matthew records it this way. He actually refers back to Isaiah 9 that we looked at earlier. And he says, the people who sat in darkness have seen a great light. But then he goes on in verse 17, he says, from that time, Jesus began to preach and say, repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. Another translation says, it is now accessible, it's close enough to touch. What are we talking about? The kingdom we know, you can touch and you can hear and you can taste, but this kingdom is now accessible and it's close enough to touch. Mark says it like this. He says, Jesus came to Galilee preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. That time means the appointed time, the kairos moment, the ordained time, the set time, the today is the day kind of time. And for some of you sitting in this room, you haven't yet entered into the kingdom of God. Today may be your day. Today may be your day where you repent and you believe the gospel, where you turn your lives back to God and you put your trust in something far beyond and far better than you could ever imagine, Jesus Christ. How amazing is that? We can testify, many of us in this room can testify how our lives truly went from darkness to light. Can't we? We can, can't we? We've experienced it. But we talk about the kingdom of God, but I want, the question, two questions I have, what is it 
and where is it? What is the kingdom of God and where is it? Romans, Paul talks about it this way. He says, for the kingdom of God is not eating or drinking, but righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Many of us could just rattle that scripture off, couldn't we? Righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Eugene Peterson wrote in the message, God's kingdom isn't a matter of what you put in your stomach, for goodness sake, thank God, huh? It's what God does with your life as he sets it right, puts it together, and completes it with joy. What does all that mean? It means we're invited in righteousness, we're invited to come into a relationship with God where we receive all that was legally bought for us on the cross through the blood of Jesus. We now have access, full access, to a relationship with the Father, and we're sons and daughters. We have all the inheritance. This past week, John and I had the wonderful opportunity to go to downtown to the federal courthouse to attend an adoption. And it's probably gonna be one of the highlights of my life. This little boy was four years old when he was left, four days old, sorry, four days old, thank you, when he was left with this gal. And she, for the last two years, has nurtured and cared for it tenderly. And she has two other adopted children. She's a midwife, and she was asked to take this child. And so she took, and she, the whole family got involved in loving and raising this little boy. He's just a delight. You can see the call of God all over his little life. And we were in the courtroom. The family invited John actually to, to pray. And it was such a marvelous experience because we had prayed with them early that these adoption, this adoption would open up for them. And we were down here on a Wednesday night and John had prayed, God, that you would give them a righteous judge because doors kept closing, kept closing, kept closing. And this judge walked into the courtroom and he stood there and he said, this is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. We knew we were in the right place. It was like chills just went through all of us. It was so exciting. There were so many moments. He said to John, when John, after John gave the prayer, he said, thank you because I have legal authority here, but you have the highest authority here. Ooh, to have judges like that, it was awesome. But here's what caught me. I was looking at the grandfather's face, and this is the only grandfather that this little boy has ever known. And he was watching the proceedings. I believe he was holding him at the time. And the judge was talking to the mother, and, um, and he said, In, today I change your name, and your name is no longer this, but your name is this, and it's the last name of the grandfather. And he said, in this day you receive all the rights and inheritance of this family. What a picture. This is the righteousness of God in our lives. This is what's happened to you, to me. This is it. All the rights, the privileges, our names have been changed, and we don't even know the inheritance that we get to walk in. This little two-year-old has no idea the inheritance that his grandparents and his mother have prepared for him. No idea. He just gets to bask in their love. But it was such a picture to me of the righteousness of God. So righteousness, peace, where nothing is, we talked about the peace of God. It's also, it's also realizing who he is and then you realize who you are. You come into this understanding, oh, 
Oh, this is who I am. All these years I thought I was this because I was defining myself by the wrong kingdom. Don't define yourself by the world's kingdom. You're of the kingdom of light. You're not of the kingdom of darkness. So when we realize that we're of the kingdom of light and who our father is and we step into righteousness, we are identifying what the kingdom of God is. Now, where is it? Where is it? We're getting a taste of it, but where is it? Well, in Luke 17, 20 to 21, now when he was asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, he answered them and said, the kingdom of God does not come with observation, nor will they say, see here or see there. For indeed, the kingdom of God is within you. It's in your midst. This isn't what the Pharisees were expecting. They were expecting an external, a physical kingdom. And Jesus was saying, no, no, no. It's internal and it's spiritual. Christ in you, the hope of glory. This is where the kingdom of God resides. Christ in you, the hope of glory. But later, Jesus would stand with them, and I just love this part. He would stand with them, and and he's speaking to them about the kingdom of God, and he is the king of the kingdom, right? So there he is in their midst. He is, right? He's in the kingdom. The king is in their midst. But he says to them later in Matthew, for when two or three are gathered in my name, I am there in the midst of them. Two or three gathered among It's the kingdom of God. Look around. Take a moment. I know it feels funny, but this is the kingdom of God in our midst. He's here, and it's here, the kingdom of God. Isn't that good news? Such good news. Just a few more things about the kingdom of God before I get to the main thing I want to talk to you about today. Um, There's so many dynamics, and I just want to paint this picture for you because I just said you're not of this kingdom, you're of this kingdom. So these are some things about the kingdom you live in. We get to come as children. Jesus says, such is the kingdom of God, come as children. He keeps it so simple. We try to make it so complicated, and he keeps it so simple. He says, come as children. He does invite us to expend all, to give all, to live lives of abandon. He says the kingdom of God is like the rich young ruler. He couldn't give up his earthly treasures. And he says, but the kingdom of God is to expend all, to give it all up. He goes on to say the kingdom of God is marked by forgiveness. Peter asked him, how many times you know, do we forgive? And, and he told him, it's like a king, the kingdom of God is like a king settling accounts. You forgive 70 times seven. It's not about something that's hard to do. It's something that you want to do so that you stay free in the kingdom and you don't get caught in this kingdom. He's teaching us a different value system. And we can, and it's one of the secrets of the kingdom. That's something else about the kingdom. Jesus said, the prophets long to know the secrets and the mysteries, but it's made known to you what are the secrets of the kingdom. You'll have eyes to hear and ears to hear. To them, I talk in parables. But to you, in the kingdom, you'll be able to hear and to see the secrets and the mysteries. So learn to be a child. Learn to walk in forgiveness. Learn to give your life away. That's all the kingdom of God. get authority in the kingdom. You have great authority. He says, in the kingdom of God, I give you keys to the kingdom. What you bind on earth, loose on earth, in heaven, in heaven, you have great authority. 
So not only are you learning to have a certain DNA, but you're walking in an authority as a son or a daughter of God. And lastly, your little insignificant life, my little five foot one inch on a good day life. (laughs) My grandmother always said good things come in tiny packages, so I took that. But um, it's like a mustard seed. It may seem really small and insignificant, but it grows to be the biggest and it extends everywhere. That's what your life is with the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God inside of you Us as believers, we are growing in influence. The world has no idea what's about to happen. No idea what's about to happen. The kingdom of God is expanding, and the glory of God will cover this entire earth. We can count on it. We can count on it. Amen? So, now I'm going to tell you why I'm telling you all this today. I had... um, So make sure I don't miss this one part for you. Yeah. So ever since, well, ever since actually I was a teenager, and John probably the same thing, and then we've carried it on through our married lives, we've always been runners. Sometimes we're joggers. Sometimes it's a controlled stumble. But (laughs) sometimes, you know, it's better. Sometimes it's worse. But it's just been always something that we've enjoyed. And in the last 20 years... John and I have lived over in, in the area where we run a five-mile loop, where we run up our, the hill from our house, which is always a real bummer. No matter how we start, we have to run up this hill. But then we run up along Nagley Park, um, up along, any of you familiar with that area? It's beautiful. If you've never gone over there in Lemoyne, it's, treat yourself. You can see the entire city. And from, this is about the three-quarters of the first mile, we can stand there and we, we look over and we can see the entire city and we can see the part of the run that we're going to do. And we make our way down through the bottleneck below Lemoyne and we go across the Walking Street Bridge, which is really a lot of fun, especially when the wind is blowing and the, ba- the bridge is kind of bouncing. Some of you know you're shaking your heads, you understand. I see Janelle there sometimes with her kids. And, uh, um, and then we make our way around Front Street, which is really, really interesting with the geese and um, the debris that they leave behind. And it's kind of a picture of the journey. You want to watch where you step, okay? And this five-mile run then takes us to what is the Harvey Taylor Bridge. And if any of you are familiar, everybody knows the Harvey Taylor Bridge if you live in Harrisburg. And it's this one-mile stretch, right? And as far as a run, it is not really exciting. It's, the, it's a harder mile. It's before our last mile home. Like the last mile, even if it's hard, you're like, okay, at least I've made the turn and I'm going home. But the Harvey Taylor Bridge is really boring, really boring. Usually the wind is whistling or it's really, if it's a hot day, the heat is extra strong. It's just the hard mile. It's such, it, in my imagination, it never gets easier. Sometimes, often, John will tell me interesting history facts Honey, do you want to hear about Teddy Roosevelt? Oh, yeah. But you know what? It helps. It really helps. And it's his encouragement, you know, on the run. But this past summer when we were running, out in the distance, I saw this sign. I'd never seen it before. The sign isn't what's significant. The fact is I realized as I was running, getting, finally getting closer and closer, the sign was coming into view. And the Lord spoke to me and said, the kingdom of God is coming into view. 
You're pressing through on this hard mile. Don't quit. Stay in this place. And he challenged me in this time, the last three months, to steward my life in such a way. And this isn't new for any of us, I know, this morning. But it's been a challenge to my heart. And I think it's purposeful because of the season that we're in. But to steward my heart and my life in such a way that I keep the kingdom of God coming into view for myself, for my family, and for the world on display, that we would be the advent, that we would be the um, proclamation, that we would be saying the arrival is here, he is coming. Does that make sense? So I wanna give you three keys that the Lord gave me. They're not in any particular order, but three keys that he gave me for coming into view, that the kingdom of God is coming into view. And the first one is to just, you just gotta be honest. The course is always there. There's an ordinary life that we live. We get to choose how we're gonna run it. And we can choose not to run it. I mean, as believers, he's encouraging us to run it, but there's a process in just the day-to-day, growing, doing the stuff, right? And it even talks about this in Mark, about the kingdom of God again. It says, Mark 4, 26 and 29, the kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises night and day, and the seeds sprout and grows, and he knows not how. The earth produces crops by itself, first the blade, then the ear, then the full grain. What I'm talk- what's talking about here is that there is a process, and there's nothing overnight about it. There's just a process, and it takes patience and endurance. And someone said to me at the first service, and you don't want to stay on the bridge. You don't want to stay stuck there, right? So I've got to make my way along the bridge. I've got to stay on the route to get there, to get to where I want to get to. Hebrews talks about it this way, 12.1. Speaks of laying off every weight and sin which so easily besets us and snares us and running with endurance the race that is set before us, considering Jesus who for the joy set before him endured the cross, so that, so that, so that we may grow, not grow weary or faint. First Corinthians talks about we want to run in such a way that we win. We're not doing, this is, this is high stakes we're playing for. We want to run in such a way, but if you stay on the course, you're going to make progress whether you feel like it or not. He's that faithful. Years ago, I was about 20s, in my early 20s, and had just some issues, don't we all, in our early 20s, right? And uh, come on, be honest, you had some issues too. And I was in a real place of despair and hurt and brokenness. And I cried out to the Lord. I remember where I was, sitting in a car, and I just cried out to him. I was a new believer, and I was like, God, what will you ever do with all of this? What could you ever do with all of this? I was, I was serious. Like, I didn't see he could do much with what, how hurt and broken and messed up I was, all these stupid choices. Stayed the course, stayed on the course, kept pursuing him, kept being in fellowship, kept reading my Bible. About, I don't know, 15, 20 years later, patience and endurance, I'm sitting in a service like this morning, and my three sons, who I wasn't supposed to have any children, my three sons are standing behind me, and they're worshiping. And randomly, the Holy Spirit's really good at this, randomly the Lord takes me back to that car, and he said, oh, Patty, look what I did with all of this. Pretty great. 
Because not only, amen, that's worth cheering about. Not only was the, the children and all that, but I was free. I had been transformed in the process. I had let go of things from this world and moved into this world. I had taken possession of the things that belonged to me. And I was becoming who I was truly created to be. That's who we get to, when just stay the course. Stay the course, stay the course. The second one is to keep looking for signs along the way. Keep looking for signs along the way to show that you're making progress, that yes, we're getting closer. God's so great at talking to us and giving us signs about what he's, how we're doing. When John and I are running across the bridge, well, you know, in City Island, there's, I mean, there's City Island, and then there's all these little islands, and we kind of mark our journey across the Harvey Taylor Bridge. We don't really talk about it, but we know. And every now and then he'll say, a third left to go. I'm like, great. You know, but we're marking our journey. We're looking for signs along the way. When um, we were first young in ministry, there was a prophet named Dick Mills came. And he had a profound um, knowledge of scripture. And he gave John and I this prophetic word. And the word was out of Job where he talked about us receiving in our latter years, he talked about us receiving a double portion. Well, when he gave us that word, our address, our physical address at our home, Katie was there, was 402. That was our physical number of our home. Fast forward now in my oh, latter years, my address is 804 in my new home. It's a sign, okay? Some of you are not as prophetic, but for me, it's a sign. I was like, oh God, it's a sign, right? But the morning that my house was burning and I stood on the yard, you can ask David, he caught me, he drove up and he caught me and I was yelling at the fire and I was saying, you've messed with the wrong lady. Because I didn't just have a sign, I had a promise. I had a promise. And it wasn't about all the stuff, it was about what was being robbed from me because I had a promise. Look for the signs along the journey. He's really great at giving them to you. Really, really great. The scripture I had for that was Matthew 13, 45 and 46. The kingdom of God is like a merchant in search of fine pearls who on finding one pearl went and sold all. It's this living with abandon. It's living like, God, I have to have you and I'm gonna, I'm gonna look for you everywhere I can. I'm gonna search for the pearl of fine price. I've got to have you. Where are you moving in my life today? I look for him every day. I look for him to speak to me every day. It come, he comes in all different forms. And sometimes, you know what? I've discovered this. Sometimes I don't hear him speaking, but I realize, oh, it's because you're so close. Because, you know, when you're really close to someone, just a look says a lot, doesn't it? Isn't that like in a marriage? Like, I can just look at John and we can have a conversation all about our children and not use any words. It's that way with the Lord sometimes, that he could be closer than you know. The last one, keep your eyes on the prize. Let go of everything else. Matthew 22, one to three says, Jesus spoke to them again in parables saying, the kingdom of God may com be compared to a king who gave, a did I read that one already? No. May be compared to a king who gave a wedding feast for his son and he sent out his slaves to call those who had been invited to the wedding feast, but they wouldn't come. I want to always respond. 
I want to always respond. I don't, I don't want to be caught in comparing myself with what others are doing with their walk. I want to respond to the walk he's invited me into. That's the one that he's interested in for me. It says in Philippians 3.12, not that I've already attained or I'm already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ has laid hold for me. I run with passion into his abundance. This is the Passion Translation. So I may reach the purpose which Christ Jesus laid hold of me. What he laid hold of me and the prizes we get Jesus. We get Jesus at the end of the day, whatever, however it works out, whether we had gotten our home back or, I mean, stuff is just stuff. Some of us and us too, we've also encountered other loss where it didn't seem like we'd won on this side. But it says in Corinthians that if the rulers of this world had only known, they would never have crucified the Prince of Glory, the King of Glory. So you may seem, something may seem like this on this side. Put your name in that, your situation in that. If the rulers of this world had only known how big God is in your life. Wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace, God in your life. They would never have. What's your circumstance right now? If they'd only known, they never would have. They never, ever would have. That's how faithful he is. Amen. So there's two areas that I want to minister in this morning. I'm very aware in this season that there's some of us, I'm included on this one too, but we're, in a, we're on the fourth mile. We're on that hard mile. We're on the Harvey Taylor Bridge. And it's really long and it's really hot or it's really cold or it's, it's just awful. It may be a broken relationship that we don't know how to fix. It may be a financial crisis. It may be an illness that you didn't bargain for. Those are really hard miles. And I first want to pray for those of you in that place. So if that's you, could you raise your hands? Give you a moment. It'll take courage, I know. Thank you, Lord. Around you is the kingdom of God in our midst, one another. This is the body of Christ around you. Keep your hands up. When we were going through the fire, it was about six months into it, and then life goes back to normal. And Katie Hurst caught me on a Sunday, right back in the back. She took my shoulders, and she said, just so you know, I haven't forgotten. I know others have forgotten, but I haven't forgotten that you're still not home. It meant the world to me meant the world to me. So you who have your hands raised, we see you and we haven't forgotten. We're holding on to you. And what I'd like to do now is if you wouldn't mind, would you stand, those of you that have your hands raised, would you be so courageous to stand? Because you're not alone in standing. Body of Christ, look at those who are in the hard mile. And we're going to cheer them on. We're going to cheer them on. We're going to be like the cloud of witnesses for them right now. Would you cheer with me? We're going to encourage them on. Come on. Yes. Come on. You can do better than that. Cheer them on. Cheer them on. You can make it. You're going to do it. You're going to cross the bridge. You're going to do it. Come on. Give it more. They need more than this. They need more. 
sure they're not alone. So we believe in those of you in the fourth mile, we believe in you. We are holding you close. We see you. And we know you're in the midst of a journey and we are holding you close as the body of Christ. And now I pray for everyone else here. We're all on a journey, aren't we? We need grace to run this race because we want to finish well, right? So let's stretch our arms up. Thank you, Father. Father, we thank you that you're the best coach ever. You're the best coach, Jesus. We thank you that you know a lot more than Theodore Roosevelt facts, but you've got facts about the kingdom. You've got words of encouragement. You've got life, life, life for our journey, Father. And I just speak grace now grace, grace, grace to every person here to run the race that God has called you to run, that you would obtain what he's obtained for you in this season. I pray, Father, for strategic answers. I pray for hope to arise. All that you need, that you'd have eyes and ears to see truly the kingdom of God expanding in your midst, whatever your circumstances, that you'd have paradigm shifts to see what God is doing in your life every day, that you'd see and hear and feel Him. Amen? Let's raise a shout. He's worth it. Come on. He's worth it. Now, as a treat, as a treat, I've asked the worship team, got it, to play Hillsong song, The Arrival, because we're gonna begin this Advent season in full display of worship for who it's all about. So let's worship together.
All hail the divine in a manger. This is the beginning of our Advent Christmas season we're heralding. If you're here today and you heard all this and you think, I need to know this Jesus, what a wonderful gift you could give yourself at Christmas to know the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. So we have a ministry team prepared for you and the altar will be open after we close for salvation. If you just wanna come forward and have someone pray with you to know him or any other needs that may that you may have for healing. We just wanna see God move in our whole in all of our lives, don't we? So I pray that the wonder of this season captures your hearts and you really do see with fresh eyes what this marvelous gift is all about. Amen, amen, be blessed.